Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Being a long-term investor, looking at the long-term horizon is what is the most stable and consistent and predictable way to grow your wealth. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Welcome back, Best Ever listeners, to another episode of the Actively Passive Investing Show. I'm your host, Travis Watts. have another exciting episode for you all today. I titled it, Four Rules for Professional Investors. Just because someone is an investor doesn't make them a professional investor, and I do think that there's some rules that could, quote-unquote, be followed to help you out. And that's what we're talking about 
in today's episode. Like always, my intent here is to bring you all as much value as I can in as short of a time frame as possible. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into number one, which is understanding active versus passive income. And I'm going to give it to you in kind of my own definition. I know there's the technical definitions between the two, but just hear me out on this. The simplest way I can put it is Active income is when you're materially participating in the business of making the money. So I'll give you a couple examples. Flipping a house would involve my time, my effort, my energy, even if I'm not, say, the contractor that's swinging the hammer or putting things together, I am still active in the business of finding that property, running the numbers, trying to work with realtors to list it when I'm done, I am actively participating. So in my definition, that is active income. Or if I'm day trading stocks, for example, and I'm sitting in front of a computer a quarter of the day, half the day, all day, and I'm sitting here and I'm trying to look at trends and markets and graphs and charts and moving averages, and I'm trading in and out of stocks, I am making active income. Now, on the flip side, passive income is rolling in whether or not you actually work or put in any time. It's something where you make a decision once, you put money somewhere once, and then for the rest of the time, money is coming back to you whether or not you work. So again, you are not materially participating in the business itself. I'll give you two quick examples, which would be As I do, I invest as a limited partner in multifamily apartment syndications. So the general partners are the active folks. They are finding deals, underwriting them, managing the business, doing investor relations, sending out distributions. I'm just a guy saying, here's $50,000. I want to invest in that deal. I sign some paperwork up front. That's about as active as that gets. And then the rest of the time is hopefully receiving cash flow distributions, passive income into my bank account. Another example of being a hands-off or a passive investor would be if I bought shares of a dividend-paying stock, like we'll use Coca-Cola as an example because they have paid a dividend for a very long time. I think it's a quarterly dividend. So again, I would do a little bit of homework, a little bit of research, figure out maybe I want to invest in that stock. I make a one-time transaction and I buy some shares. The rest of the time, I'm not working for Coca-Cola. I'm not the CEO of Coke. I'm not on their team. I don't have to actively participate in the business of Coca-Cola in order to receive dividends by holding that stock. So that is passive income. So the big point and the big message I'm trying to make with this is it can be literally life-changing to understand the importance of these two. And I'll just tell you, from speaking with thousands and thousands of accredited investors over the years, the wealthy invest for passive income. And I want to make one thing clear with that statement. Notice I said invest for passive income. Obviously, a lot of wealthy individuals are business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs, you name it. They are active in earning income in different ways, but they invest passively for the most part. Obviously, the exceptions to every rule. You have wealthy general partners, we'll say, who are both active and passive in their investments. 
But here's the deal. You and I only have so much time in a day, so much time in a week, so much time in a year to be active on whatever it is we choose to be active on. Even if we're the best CEO in the world, you may not want to put more than 80 hours a week in because you're going to burn yourself out. So how do you scale your income beyond your salary, let's say, as being a CEO? You invest passively for passive income, and that way money starts coming back to you without you having to be active additionally outside of, we'll call it work. So all that sums up, number one, understanding active versus passive income. Again, not financial advice, not technical definitions, just my take on it, sharing it with you to simplify the message. Number two, the second rule is get financial education. I think we're all very aware that our school system doesn't do a great job at teaching us financial education. They might teach you how to check out a bank balance or balance a checkbook or, or something kind of crazy like that. I remember, in fact, in high school, we did one exercise and one exercise only that even somewhat related to investing, and it was a terrible exercise. But all it was was this. They gave us what's called a paper trading account which is a fake brokerage account. So you just enter how much money you want in there. So we all started with whatever, $10,000 or something. And we each created a little sign in. And then it tracked the real stock market day to day, but the money we were using was fake. And the objective was we started on a Monday morning and every day we would do about 30 minutes on this exercise. And the goal was by Friday in this particular class, whoever generated the most money in their fake brokerage account won. And that's a terrible strategy because this is how a lot of people try to chase the shiny objects. They try to chase the highest yield. They try to get into the most speculative investments with the highest risk profiles without understanding that, which we're going to talk about risk here in a minute. And ultimately, it's a buy low and sell high and a get rich quick kind of mentality. It was the worst exercise ever. I didn't realize that at the time, but in hindsight, looking back, that was just terrible <laughs> to try to teach people that's investing. So when I say get financial education, most of us weren't educated even in our own household about true professional investing. Some of us may have been grateful enough to get that kind of message and we can't rely on the school system either. So what I mean is listening to podcasts like this one, reading books, attending seminars, finding mentors, you have to be a go-getter, unfortunately. And when I say unfortunately, most people aren't go-getters. Let's be real. So it kind of requires that to be a professional investor. You cannot achieve professional investor status by just turning over your money to some money manager and saying, put me in the stock market or whatever. I don't care what it's in. Just do what you think is best. That's not a professional take on it. You need to do a little more homework, a little more due diligence, and take a little more ownership over your finances if you're seeking to be a professional investor. Granted, not everybody is. Not everybody would care to be. But if you are and you're listening to this episode, I'm just sharing what it takes to be a true professional investor. So I named several ways to get financial education. Some are paid, some are unpaid. We're all different. I know people that have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to attend different conferences and mastermind groups. That's effective for some of them. And I know people that have really, quite frankly, not spent much money at all. I would gather probably under $1,000 to get financially educated because they're go-getters. They'll go read 50 books from the library. They'll go listen to podcasts, which are free, and they'll skim through YouTube to get content for free. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. You have to kind of know a little bit about yourself, and everybody's different as to which is most effective. 
So circling quickly back to that story about me in high school and that exercise about day trading stocks basically is what we were doing. There was nothing taught about cash flow or passive income, which is the way that the true wealthy invest. So to that point, that brings us to number three, rule number three, which is invest for cash flow or passive income, not for capital gains or potential appreciation. And I'll explain why. So the buy low, sell high mentality is promoted and marketed worldwide. It's not just in America. It's this idea that I've talked about on the show many times that you're told by either an employer or by Wall Street or by your broker dealer that, hey, just dump some money in your 401k and your IRA and then one day it's going to be all good down the road. Well, it's only going to be all good down the road if the markets just go up and up and up and up and up and up and up forever, and hopefully when you pull the trigger to retire, we don't have a big market correction or something like that. So my point is, is it possible to flip a house today and make a profit, which is buy low, sell high? Is it possible to buy a stock today at $10 a share and then it moves up to 15 in a relatively short time frame? Absolutely, that's possible. Absolutely. But you know, one of the biggest factors that helps you achieve that goal is the market itself. If the housing market is booming like it is right now, there's a better chance you're going to make a profit. And same thing could be said with stocks. If you're getting in and after the market bottoms and now we're starting to see a recovery back up, you could virtually just throw darts at a board and make a profit over the next five years. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. What's holding you back from getting into apartment building deals? Is it knowledge, fear, inability to take action, lack of support? If it's any of these things, then I suggest you consider Deal Maker Mentoring with Michael Blanc. Michael's program is the most effective program to help you syndicate your first apartment building deal. During Deal Maker Mentoring, you'll work directly with one of Michael's experienced mentors who have successfully replaced their income with apartment buildings. They've already done what you want to do, which is become financially free. So in addition to providing their own syndication experience, they've been trained in Michael's unique Deal Maker Blueprint designed to help you do your first deal and become financially free just like them in the next one to three years. To find out more, text the word Joe to 66866. I know Michael's going to get you to where you'd like to be. Again, text the word Joe to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. But what I encourage you to think about is what about the 401k holders? What about the IRA holders? What about the buy low, sell high strategists when 2008 and 2009 came along? And by the way, 
we didn't see a real recovery for many years. It was almost, what, 2011, 12, before the market started making a rebound. So there was years of loss and then years of settling and then years of really just kind of flat returns from 08, 9, 10, and 11. That's a long time to sit on the sidelines. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I've talked about the lost decade so many times between 2000 and 2009, where there was almost a 0% return using a buy low and sell high mentality. So something to think about as an investor, again, being a professional investor, being a long-term investor, looking at the long-term horizon, is what is the most stable and consistent and predictable way to grow your wealth? Because it's great when you're flipping houses in a booming market like I did in Colorado along the front range in 2012, 13, 14, 15, and 16, I did great because the market did great. We were seeing in some cases double-digit annualized appreciation. Well, that certainly helps when you're holding assets in an environment like that. But when the market corrects, as I said earlier, you might be buying at the top and then having to sell low if you can't hold on to a cash-flowing property. So we obviously know that a lot of people got crushed in the dot-com era in 2000 when everyone's buying publicly and privately into companies that had a potential to go up, but many ended up crashing and going to zero, and that's all because of the strategy that was being used. But have you ever considered what happened during the year 2000 or 2008, 2009 to investors who were holding cash flow positive investments, whether it be a company that had very little debt and was cash flow positive, generating great revenue, whether it was cash flow positive real estate as your tenants paying it down, your occupancy stayed up. That is the key is the cash flow investors did great when the market went up. They do great when the market goes sideways and not too many lost properties and did terrible when the market went down as long as they held on to a cash flow positive asset. That's the point, you guys. Markets can only go up, down, or sideways. So if the odds are two-thirds to three-thirds of the time, you're going to be in the profit. That's my exact point. So you don't have to sit on the sidelines or take massive losses every decade or so. Anybody who's hoping or guessing that a price of something is going to be higher in the future is simply speculating. And I know I'm going to take some heat for that comment, but truly consider that. I don't know the future. You don't know the future, as we've seen over and over on the news, talking heads and CNBC and all these different sources. Everybody's got an opinion every day. Every day I could pull you an article that says the sky's falling and the market's about to collapse. And I could pull you an article that says we're about to start the next phase of the bull cycle and things are going up from here. Every single day we have differing opinions that tells you that people are speculating. It's the same thing as playing the roulette wheel and asking for people's opinions. You're always going to have someone that says, I know it's going to be red. I know it's going to land on red. And someone's always going to say it's going to land on black. I know it's going to land on black. Let's accept that that is a form of speculation. Now, with that being said, I'm not going to bash people who flip houses or trade stocks or do any buy low, sell high investing. I just want you to be aware that it's really not as professional just to sit on something and ride the ups and downs and the volatility if you're trying to build steady, consistent income. And I'll say it one other way, which is if 
you're a cash flow or income investor, the price may be of secondary importance to the passive income if your focus is the passive income. In other words, back to the Coca-Cola example, I don't know what the share price of Coca-Cola is today, but just for example purposes, I'm going to say it's $30 per share. Well, if they're paying a consistent, steady dividend every quarter for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it's been, does it matter? Is the primary focus that the stock today is 30 versus 31 versus 29 versus 28 if the dividend keeps getting paid out to you every single quarter, every single year, and you're using that dividend to live on as part of your income. I would argue the price is secondary. If it happens to fall drastically, maybe you buy some more shares in dollar cost average. I'm just saying for example purposes. Same thing with real estate. If you paid 300000 for a single family home that you're renting out for $2,500 a month cash flow, Does it matter if the market softens a little and now the estimated value of your real estate is $275,000 if your tenant continues paying $2,500 per month and they're locked into a long-term lease? I would argue that it's really not that important unless you were looking to sell the property, which is back to buy low and sell high strategy, which I don't use and a lot of wealthy professional investors do not use either. Okay, moving on to rule number four. The final rule is understand risk, something that is not talked about nearly enough in the industry of investing. But I want to ask you this quick question. Is it more or less risky to rely on one income source or 40 diversified income sources? Well, to me, that answer is pretty obvious, but I guess some people have a different take on it. And in fact, I want to share one of those stories with you. Several years ago, I was talking to my brother-in-law about investing, just kind of feeling out what kind of investing he does or if he invests. And it turns out he does not invest. And this was his reason. He told me very specifically that it's too risky to invest when you have kids. And what he was really trying to explain or articulate is that he thought it was risky to take money away from providing for his family to invest, I'm guessing in a speculative sense, because he couldn't afford to lose that money. And granted, there is some merit to that. Unfortunately, as I said, he's probably thinking about speculative investing like in the crypto space or something like that and not so much in stabilized cash flowing real estate. And of course, you never want to invest any money that you can't afford to lose. So I did agree with him in many ways, but then I got to thinking about it and I thought, but on the flip side of that, he has one income source and it's his job and it's a high paying job. And I thought, what would your family do or what what would he do if he lost his job and his income went to zero? Or what if his company said, hey, budget cuts and salary cuts, sorry, but you're taking a 30% cut. Well, this stuff happens, as we all know, and he would have no backup income. Hopefully, he would have some savings and some emergency fund, but his income would go from 100% to potentially 0% overnight, and it's something that's not necessarily in his control. So on that topic and to that point, this is why it took me almost six years to realize the real risk in investing in single family homes the way I was primarily investing in single family homes as a buy and hold investor. I thought 
one, if I had a tenant move out, which I did on the regular, my income didn't just go from 100% to zero. It went from 100% cash flow positive to immediate cash flow negative. In other words, I didn't just lose my positive cash flow. We'll call it $300 a month for example purposes on a property. But when someone moved out, whether it was planned or unplanned, I went immediately in the whole negative because I still had a mortgage payment, property tax, insurance, HOAs in many cases, and I had to pay those bills without having any income roll in to cover it. So consider this as a quick math example. As you all know, I'm not very good at math, but I'm just going to hit some simple basic numbers. If I had a single family property and it was $300 a month cash flow positive, that means that the rent comes in, I cover all my expenses, and at the end of the day, I was making $300 per month in positive cash flow. Let's say one of my renters or the renter in that particular property moved out and it was all expected. It was that they did a 12 month lease and at the end they decided they weren't gonna renew, they were gonna go buy their own house or something like that. So let's say it took me 30 days or roughly one month to turn the property around. They have to move out, I have to get it cleaned, I have to relist it, I have to interview people and then the new renters want a, a one or two week extension till they can move in. Let's just say it was one month to get it covered. So some example expenses would be, I might have a $1,500 a month mortgage payment on the property. I might have a $200 a month HOA fee to pay. I might have $250 in property tax. I might have $100 per month insurance policy that I have to pay. And it might take me $200 to clean the carpets and clean the place up for the next renter. So when you tag all of that together, it's over $2,000 of an expense. So when you look at a property, a single family home that's 300 a month cash flow positive, you got to remember that an event like that, even it's an expected event that happens every year, could knock out eight months of your cash flow, the better part of a year. And that's just turning the unit over, not to mention all the maintenance nightmares that I had to deal with from leaking roofs to shoddy plumbing to having to paint properties to landscaping get messed up to special assessments with HOAs. When you factor in all the risk points of going cash flow negative and the maintenance and the unexpected things, it's awfully hard in my personal opinion and my personal experience to make good, solid, consistent money with single family homes, which is what prompted me to shift after six years of doing all that kind of stuff into investing in stabilized, cash flowing, multifamily, primarily value add business plan syndications. Not saying that everybody should do what I did, not saying everyone's experience was what my experience was. I'm just saying as a fourth point to understand the risk of what you're investing in and weigh that out against the potential reward that you're looking at getting in that particular investment. So I digress from that story. I hope that you guys found this episode useful. And again, I will recap for you the four rules, quote unquote, for professional investors. It's understanding active versus passive income. It's getting financial education, whether it's paid or unpaid. You're on your own to self-educate, unfortunately, in most cases. Number three is invest for cash flow, not capital gains or 
hoping that markets always go up, up, up and away. Number four is understanding risk. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode on the Actively Passive Investing Show. I'm your host, Travis Watts. Don't forget to like, subscribe. Always happy to be a resource to anybody. Reach out anytime. We will see you on the next episode.